Hello and welcome to EM Talk. EM Talk is a podcast sponsored by Axon Education and the Texas EMS School, and we are devoted to diving into the real world of EMS and everything relative. We interview real EMS providers, real hospital providers, real patients, and get the real story on what's going on currently in the world of EMS and what we can do to make it better. Matt, you currently are the uh, operations something or another. Can you tell me what your job is right now? Yeah, so I am a certified healthcare operations specialist, and um, that's abbreviated CHSOS. (laughs) I like that better. <laughs> I still have, can't say it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So you kind of have to wonder what uh, what that really means. But um, what happened was is this all kind of started several years ago where um, as simulation in healthcare education started, the question was, what do we call ourselves? Um, we called ourselves simulation technicians, but somehow um, there was a group, uh, the Society for Simulation in Healthcare, a bunch of people got together and decided to that we would call ourselves simulation operationists. So this is a, a real organization. Yeah. Like this isn't just something that Texas Tech came up with. Correct. Okay. Um, so, so it kind of on some people call themselves different things, but um, I've actually taken the certification test, so I have so the credential. Yes. I did not know that. <laughs> uh, I certifiable for sure, but certified I did not know. Yeah. So I was one of the first. Um, probably 10 people to get certified and um, it took me six months to even get the results from my exam because they were doing a benchmark with it and they had to decide what the pass or fail cutoff was. Um, so, <laughs> so what if they made a bad decision and failed you on it? <laughs> well, I guess I would have just taken it again. Uh, <laughs> but it was kind of one of those things um, I didn't study for at all. I just went in and took the test and it was kind of iffy there for a little while. Uh, but now it's one of those things, kind of like in our, you can take the test and you find out uh, really quickly how you did. And um, so that is the uh, coming of a simulations operations specialist. But essentially, you can think of us as the behind the scenes crew for medical simulations. So essentially, in my mind, what you just described to me was the organization SHIELD um, from Marvel and your um, agent Coulson. That's, that's how I'm going to imagine this situation, is you are Agent Coulson, and this, this is S.H.I.E.L.D. Does that make your job feel much more important? I actually have no idea what you're talking about. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you, there's no way. You haven't seen the Marvel movies. Uh, I've not seen a single one. Oh, my gosh. Well, this might turn into a whole different conversation then, because that, sir, is a tragedy. So, uh, no, I can't get off on that tangent. I really want to right now because that is a very important part of my life because I'm a huge nerd. So, anyways, all right. So, um, so this organization was formed to manage the the aspect of healthcare education that is simulation, basically. Um, is me trying to break that down into terms that I can understand. Yeah, and so I think um, you can kind of maybe compare it to EMS in a sense where you look at um, how they started to credential things back in probably the 70s or with the coming of NR. So it's just a, a, natu- a, a way of forming a certification to recognize people who have met certain criteria. I got um, you. I so, got you. And prior to that, it was one of the things, so being that this was a newly created position, um, it's kind of one of those things, you know, you'll tell you that 
the students today are training for jobs that don't exist yet. And that's <laughs> honestly been what, you know, kind of what my career was because I was, I was in school and it's like, I don't know what I want to do. And, um, I saw a job. I thought it was honestly robotics, and I applied for it, and it was not robotics, Did but it was kind of like that. Robotics? No. <laughs> well, it was just—I don't know. It just sounded like something that would be cool. Uh, so anyway, and that's kind of how I got down this path. But but part of it was like, okay, one, what are these people that we hire, and um, what do we pay them, and stuff like that. So we've kind of had to carve our own path into to advancing our career. Um, it was, it's kind of been a, a topic of debate, but what a lot of um, people were doing, and, and I started out on a school of nursing, so I'll say a school of nursing, um, but um, what a lot of the schools were doing is, is they were only hiring nurses. And I said, okay, well, you know, we're gonna hire nurses for all of our positions. And, and when you look at the technical aspect of managing these things, okay, so now you have someone that's a nurse that's now having to troubleshoot a computer problem and their background is in nursing and things like that. So well, you're underpaying them for a job that they're not qualified for, basically. Yeah, but you could also, um, you could use them as an educator also. Sure. So, you know, they were they were having to wear all of the hats. And you yeah, said, you know, which is hard. the argument is how many cooks do you need in the kitchen? So you right. got to think about it that way. So then they started hiring us technical people and we kind of carved a path that way. But there's... Definitely some simulation centers that are still not utilizing technical people and they get by um, or they're working with an IT department in conjunction for managing their stuff. Um, well, and, and I would think that it's wise. I imagine your whole deal is informatics. You're, you're probably very good at organization and taking the information you have and putting it into play and using it somewhere. Because I, I, just as I was walking in for... Uh, for this attempt number two at this podcast episode, uh, I'm watching Matt, you know, organize what appears to be, uh, I don't even know, like a syllabus <laughs> or a policy book or something. And it's like, if you don't know what you're looking at and you don't know how to organize that kind of information, if I looked at that, I'd be like, oh, I'm just going to give up <laughs> and I would throw <laughs> it away. Um, and I've been there when I first learned how to do like syllabi and things like that. It was like, what does any of this mean? Um, so, I, I, you know, that's, that's a skill set that's needed if you're going to manage all of this kind of stuff. Absolutely. So, that's cool. I, I didn't know any of that about what you were doing here, and now I've learned something new. Even after we talked for an hour about it, I'm <laughs> the first still time. learning new things. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, when, when you meet new people and ask you, what do you do? It's just kind of like, well, where do you really start with that conversation? Well, I made so. you do it. <laughs> so perfect. Um, Okay, so uh, why Matt? Why did why did Matt and I choose to to have a conversation today? We uh, we both come from similar fields and have now been thrown into the same field together uh, in a bunch of different ways. Our our lives um, overlap in many areas that we didn't even know of until we we got into this. Um, you know, we, we know a lot of the same people, we've lived in the same places, uh, went to the same school, um, all sorts of stuff, and, and here we are. Our, li our lives have overlapped in many different ways that we didn't even realize. So Matt is coming to us with this perspective of being in the education world for healthcare, and, and his primary audience, as he was saying, is, is generally nursing students. 
um, and and probably I would imagine some uh, some med med students and things like that come to the sim lab in the Lubbock area. Uh, now here you're going to start having nurse practitioners. Is that right? Uh, PA program, something like that. I heard something about Maybe. It. I'm not Maybe. sure on that, yeah. I was going to try to pull it out because <laughs> that's interesting to me because <laughs> PA program is awesome. Um, so well, if you guys don't have that yet here, you should get it at this center. <laughs> okay, we'll look into that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I'm going to make some education decisions here. So anyways, um, Matt's at this at this simulation center and, and you're the you're over all the ones in this area, over Abilene, Lubbock, what else? Yeah, so I'll basically, so we have um, Lubbock, Abilene, and Odessa, and I'm not necessarily over them, but I'm over the American Heart Association training center of each one. Gotcha. So Lubbock is a training center, and then we have sites in Abilene and Odessa. So I gotcha. uh, managing those operations. Um, I also am in charge of all of the uh, medical records that we're using for training purposes at those three locations. And we have San Antonio, Dallas, Austin. We're kind of, we're expanding in those areas in different directions. So um, I anticipate at some point in the future we'll have to do some more stuff with those programs. But That's cool. So you mentioned AHA. So um, tell us more about AHA. You, you're, what is your official title for AHA? So I am the training center coordinator um, for our training center that is underneath the oversight of the American Heart Association. Okay, okay, so for the Health Sciences Center for Texas Tech, you're the AHA person? Yes. Okay, um, so uh, if you don't know what AHA is, I'm surprised you're listening to this podcast, but uh, it's the American Heart Association and they oversee a lot of things. Uh, everybody, when they think AHA, all they think of is, well, generally what they think of is the Red Cross for some reason. Um, which is actually a totally separate thing um, that, that takes AHA's guidelines and tries to sell it in a totally different course. So if you're taking a Red Cross CPR course, that is not an official AHA certification and does not count in the healthcare world. But AHA are the people that come up with our guidelines for CPR. The healthcare world looks to AHA as the gold standard for cardiac events specifically. And of course, other things, which more, more of that to come, I'll talk more about that uh, maybe later in the podcast. But what, what happens is HA does all of the, this research, all these studies, and they come up with new guidelines, they adapt their, their guidelines, they put it out for training purposes and help to certify people so that everyone everywhere in the healthcare community is doing CPR and cardiac interventions in the exact same way. It's similar to why we have national multi-casualty incident uh, uh, regulations and policies. There's, there's you know, steps in place so that when we get in a situation where we have to work with others that we don't know, we all know what's going on. So it's a, it's a really intricate process that is pretty amazing if you step back and take a look at it. And Matt's job is to make sure that that's getting out there, is to make sure that the people at his school are learning it and to make sure that others in the community are learning it and to coordinate the teaching of those classes. So um, if you've never had an AHA CPR course, I totally recommend it. It's, it's awesome and you can take it from me, you can take it from Matt. <laughs> so there's two people you should know of. But um, Matt 
got me into this whole thing. Um, I was already an instructor for AHA at a different uh, training center that wasn't as organized as anybody would have liked. Um, and Matt pulled me in to, to try to participate in a much more organized fashion with uh, CPR for uh, people in our area. So what's come of that is I've actually gotten to instruct a lot of different people, and um, which the more people that know CPR, obviously the better. So let's start with that. Let's start with AHA. How do you get involved with, with AHA? So my primary role is uh, course quality. So I have to oversee, so I oversee a, a group of instructors. So Judd, for example, is one of those instructors. There's various others out there in the community that I try to recruit. And um, one thing that the training center does is make sure that they have the resources that they need. Also the training that they need and they're up to date with all of the updates. Um, there are some more larger for-profit centers that um, I call them the paper mills. They'll pretty much, <laughs> they'll pretty much print anything if you'll give them enough money, um, and that's not how I operate. So I've made a lot of friends. Um, sure. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's always terrible when you have to remediate an instructor, and it just it doesn't always go well. Um, a lot of times, people are very ingrained in how they do things. And it's, it's difficult from the coordinator's perspective to go in and remediate someone on how they're teaching. Um, well, especially you get these instructors that have been teaching it the same way for 20 years. And it's like, no, you're not going to tell me how to teach this Absolutely, class, yeah. Even though they're teaching it totally wrong. <laughs> yeah, and they may not really respect my credentials or lack thereof. Um, it's, it's very awkward. For example, for ACLS or PALS or something, um, but I do have specific guidelines that have to be met in that sense. And you are you are an ACLS and PALS instructor as well? Or I am not. Okay, so just the BLS right now. Yeah. So that's actually that's actually something I didn't realize either. I thought you were an ACLS and PALS instructor too. No, I'm, I've never felt comfortable doing that. Um, if I was maybe an EMT at the intermediate level or paramedic for sure, I would feel more. Um, and, and I'm sure it's one of those things where I'm sure I could be trained to be up to speed on teaching that, but I'm just, I've just never pursued it. So, well, you're, um, you're uh, detail-oriented enough. I imagine you'd probably be better at teaching it than most of the people that are teaching it. Well, that makes fair. me nervous. Uh, <laughs> it should. It should make you nervous. I'm not saying better than me. I'm just saying better than most of the people oh, okay. that I know that teach it. I, I or the, the have biggest, a good understanding yeah. of how it works. <laughs> the biggest problem with that is that, you know, you can look at it and not everybody teaches the same way, True. but we have specific guidelines for how we do that. Right. And those guidelines are research driven. So, you know, somebody has looked at it and said, okay, on average, people learn if you present information in this manner. So that's where it kind of comes from this, this whole process that you do during those courses where you watch. Uh, the video and then you do the skills and things like that and so um, what's the biggest complaint that you get about the the VLS course oh everybody loves my classes no one ever complains um, <laughs> no the biggest complaint that I get is probably so-and-so down the street will do this for ten dollars and thirty minutes why oh, why I'm does expecting. it why does it cost me fifty dollars to do this and why does it take four and a half hours I was trying to get you to say that the videos are too long oh, <laughs> but yeah. 
I can well, see that too, and I get that too because I charge a certain amount because that's what my time is worth. Yeah. Um, for one, and two, the person that's teaching you down the street for ten dollars is gonna take twenty minutes, teach you how to do some compressions, and tell you the answers to the test. Yeah. So. And that's I mean people aren't learning that way so you know you're kind of having to compete. Um, I've I've never wanted our training center to turn a large profit. But um, what I like for is to have money for us to invest in upgrading equipment and things like that, especially when the new guidelines come out, because we'll have to make some purchases um, related to that. And Are you talking about like the feedback devices and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a question I have. Um, the, with, the, with the feedback device, what's, what's the specification for that? Is it, is it, it has to be like digital, like audio feedback or? I think what? that's what the, the specific term is. I'm, I'm not too familiar with it, but um, it has, I think you have to, it can't be, it doesn't count if the mannequin just clicks. It has no, to. That's a bummer. Yeah, <laughs> because we were already doing that. Yeah. So um, what I'm actually using, it connects to your phone via Bluetooth or tablet and it kind of gives you a graph of what everybody's doing. So, so how much is that going to cost per mannequin to add? I don't remember. We purchased those kits back in the, the fall, so um, I forgot. But <laughs> what was really cool about it is the type of mannequins that we have, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll mention a name here, but Lairdall makes the best mannequins in terms of simulation equipment, um, in my opinion. And you but, can do that. Axon Education is in no way, shape, form, or fashion promoting one product <laughs> over another. But uh, Matthew at Texas Tech is. <laughs> I don't even think it matters if we do or not. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. But, um, you know, there's a lot of different mannequins out there for CPR. And if you look at the Lairdall ones, they have upgradable parts. For example, oh, that's cool. if you break a spring, you can go buy a spring. If you're using those cheaper ones, if you break something, you have to throw the whole thing away. So um, no, what they do, <laughs> when, the, when the guidelines change, what they'll do is they'll sell an upgrade kit and you just put in new parts and it all works. So when the depth changed from like, what was it? One inch, one and a half inches to two one inches? one and a half inches, now it's two inches or one yeah. third the depth of the chest. Yeah, who remembers one third the depth of the chest? Anyway. Um, uh, <laughs> I <do. laughs> See, Matt, I am a good instructor. Okay. Um, so, what they do is they just give you that part that makes it click at a different interval. And so oh, it's, cool. it's really cool how the whole thing was designed. So really all we had to buy was a different chess piece that has basically a AA battery in it that connects with, the, it's got a Bluetooth. Well, that's pretty neat, that's not yeah. bad. I, so I mean, it wasn't I mean, like a complete investment, but, but if we had invested all of our equipment in some of those other products, we would now have to buy all of these other things, so. So, it, I mean, it's, it's worth it to do the research and buy the right equipment. Which is where I'm at with it. Like, if I weren't doing CPR through y'all and I go do a course at somewhere that doesn't already have mannequins, I don't have the mannequins like that that I would need. Like, the mannequins I have now are going to be totally useless in a little bit when the new guidelines Yeah, well, out. they do make some add-on devices. There's a, a wearable device, like a little watch, that lights up in some fashion when you're in the correct rate and depth. Um, so there's different options you have out there for that. It's not, and, and I think that's kind of where they have to walk a line there where they can't say, okay, now to do this effectively, you have to spend X amount of months, uh, X amount of dollars on yeah. this equipment or things like that. I so. would imagine that would cause some, uh, some lashback, lashback. What's the <laughs> word I'm looking for? 
What's it like? <laughs> some. <laughs> <laughs> There's there. Most of my podcasts have some kind of lapse where I'm trying to figure out what a word is, and I usually just keep it in there because it's kind of become my thing. Is I don't remember that word. Just making up word. Okay. Yeah. We all knew what you meant. Yeah. Everybody knows what I'm trying to say. Um. So well, that's. It's it always is striking to me how much these other fields and arenas seem to make updates and changes and how much EMS tries to stay the same. And we talked about that earlier. We've got a, a profession that hasn't been around for a very long time. It's young compared to everybody else, but it makes really fast um, knowledge-based changes and evidence-based changes as far as what we know we should do. The difference is, is that the regulating agencies that are in control of what we're required to teach don't care about those changes, it seems like, or don't change as quickly. So, you know, you've got the National Registry, which, uh, thank God somebody sat down and, and did a canon of all of the EMS knowledge necessary for each level. That's great. But the problem is that it's not changing and updating as fast as we know the medical world is changing. So, you know, you and I were talking about the KED. You know, we've gone beyond that device. We, we, we're not even sure that backboarding people anymore is, is the responsible and evidence-based thing to do. And still, we're using this device that takes 10, 15 minutes to put on, on top of cutting the top off of a darn car, and, and we're teaching people about it when most EMS services don't even carry it. So. We, I mentioned earlier that you did EMS way back when, so I want to jump into that because I want to have a conversation about the knowledge then versus the knowledge now and so on. So why EMS? Why did you do this in the first place and when did that happen? When, when was that first journey? Okay, so we kind of fast forward back to maybe 2010. Um, so I had started this job working for a school of nursing um, as a simulation technician, known at the time as that. And um, I needed a deeper knowledge of uh, the healthcare world. Um, also, my sister had just completed the program and she kind of, she really encouraged me to do it. And so I just did it. At the time, it was really convenient for me because that course was offered in the evenings. And so I could work, uh, I could work all day and then go to school at night, and then... That's um, not exhausting. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. what we made you do here, too. So yeah. <laughs> um, So I could do it that way, um, and I was, I was kind of excited because at that time they also had an intermediate program online where I could do the same thing, um, but at the point of completing my basic, the instructor that was doing that in the evenings moved, or, and so they didn't continue it. So Who I was, was kind of left... Group? Um, South Plains College. Oh, okay. Yeah, they still have an EMS program. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they just weren't doing stuff in the evenings after yeah. those yeah. They staff just, changes. Yeah, they do like a regular day course now, I think. Yeah. So it was pretty much like, well, if you want to continue, there were some other programs that I could do. Um, it just wasn't really convenient, and I didn't know that I wanted it bad enough. Um, so I kind of just kept my basic, and I never applied for the state license, and I kind of just use that knowledge to further my career in simulation. And then um, I made the decision to go to graduate school and 
In the midst of all of that, I was supposed to have done some CEUs for my EMT basic, and <laughs> I did absolutely nothing. You and about half the EMS world. <laughs> yeah, so I just kind of let it go away. And then um, fast forward to now, I don't know. It always just kind of, I think it bothered me a little bit that I just let something slip away so easily. Something and, that you probably worked pretty hard for. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, so, you know, just kind of let that go. And, and then you kind of, you hear stories or, like, you meet people in the field and you talk to them and stuff. And you kind of, maybe a small piece of you wants um, to relate to them better or, you know, also... Um, I'd also read a lot of books written by paramedics, EMTs, and um, they're, those are some of my favorite books where they just talk about not necessarily different calls, but just different things that they experience in the field like that. And I would actually like to someday maybe write one of those books, and so I kind of need the experience. Yeah, so, get out yeah, <laughs> I can't make it all up. Because <laughs> well, I promise some of those people do. <laughs> but yeah, I get you. Well, it's cool. So, um, I, that's something I didn't realize. I thought you did EMS first, um, and then uh, your sister came into it after the fact. But that's cool that uh, she kind of encouraged you into that. Um, so you you did it uh, at night. Um, how often did y'all meet in your course? I think it was Monday through Thursday. Oh, nights. so like every night. Yeah. Oh wow. Um, that's a lot. Yeah, and I just remember like trying to figure out how to read everything. And, and it was so funny because I'd had a bachelor's degree at this point, but I had never really learned how to study, if oh, no. that makes any my sense. My bachelor's degree was Kate compared to EMS. Yeah, like, yeah. It was so easy compared to getting my certification. So suddenly it's like I have to read this book, and I realize that just reading it once is a waste. Like I have to read each chapter maybe two or three times. And, and it just got to be kind of like a time budget thing where it's like I would kind of have to prepare – you know, for Thursday on Sunday because of work and stuff like that. So, you know, just making it all work. Uh, and that's, I mean, to do that takes a very organized person because I did the whole working and going to school thing for everything. My bachelor's, my, my EMT cert, my paramedic cert, and now my master's, I'm also working and going to school. Um, and I'm not that organized. So I know how difficult that can be. And I'm wondering, I should probably get some tips on how to manage that. Make um, a list. You gotta have you gotta have your plan of what you've gotta get done in twenty-four hours and oh just God. knock you know, like you know, don't worry about Wednesday on Monday so much. Just know what you and just take it one day at a time and Well, I take it one day at a time, but then I like throw out that plan when I get tired. So that's coffee helps. That's part of the problem with me. I, and I, you know. When I got my paramedic, I just didn't sleep. I just never slept. I just was either doing schoolwork or working, because I was working EMS at the time, trying to get some experience, and that was about all I had time to do was work and study. Yeah, and I pretty much in, I think, was it maybe 2014, I was still, so I was working full-time, and then I was also in graduate school and doing all this research and stuff like that, and Basically, what happened was is my appendix <laughs> decided to rupture, and so then there was that surgery in the midst of, and I just remember like laying in bed, typing with one hand, trying to finish <laughs> this stupid paper. So, um, You're like, can I please have an extension? All of that stuff, Come yeah. <laughs> and so then it was like, I jumped right back up to work from that, and then I got a hernia. So that was another surgery. It was a rough year. It I met sounds my like this exhaustion doctor. may have had something to play in 
into your health as well. Yeah, right? so that's what I'm saying. That's what you're looking at right now. Yeah. It's just, well, just get ready. I, the <laughs> most sick I've ever been was while I was going through paramedic school. I got shingles. I got flu A and B and strep all at the same time and still had to go to work. Um, just all sorts of stuff just like that. Now I have GERDs. Thanks a lot, EMS. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so a little tip to those of you out there trying to manage multiple things at once. Uh, plan it out a little bit. Get some sleep maybe here. But eventually there. it'll kill you. <laughs> yeah, eventually it'll either kill you or you're, you're going to finish. So congrats if you finish. Um, okay. You're doing the EMT thing again uh, as, as just kind of something – to get back into it, you kind of felt like you left it unfinished, basically. Um, so what have you noticed to be the biggest difference book-wise? Like, has there been much of a difference in the knowledge then compared to the knowledge now? I think one of the, the change that I've realized is Trendelenburg is no longer recommended for shock. That's true, yeah. Um, that's really... It for the most part. There may be some changes in, like, everybody kind of has their own, depends on what book you're reading, but their own interpretation of highs and lows for blood pressures and things like that. So some of those things might be a little bit different this time. Um, other than that, you know, I, I remember, like, from the skills, there was masked pants. <laughs> and, uh, and then there was just sort of that Do you remember thing. what those are for? It's a bleeding or crush injury. Is it, or like you could use it for severe bleeding on like a lower extremity, maybe. Yeah, they, they call them shock pants. It's to prevent shock. It keeps keeps blood flow to the to the vital organs. So yeah, kind of yeah. Yeah. So in practicing for the skill set of the mast pants, you know we couldn't put them on each other because you would essentially kill your classmate by putting them on mast, <laughs> in mast pants if they don't need them. Um, but then it was just sort of like you know. So it was crazy because I worked in this job as a simulation technician, and I'm very aware of the technology that exists and the capacity that our school had to do simulations in a certain manner for things. And then it's like, you know, five o'clock would come and I change hats and I go to class. And uh, then we, we go to this, this class and we're literally across the street from the simulation lab. And, you know, the instructors would be like, okay, somebody lay down in the floor. So and you were doing the simulation lab while you were going through EMT yeah. class. Yeah, and so it was like night <laughs> and day because, it, you know, the EMT class wasn't using anything at the simulation facility. So, you know, they had some mannequins, but they were all broken and missing some appendages and things like that. Um, so, you know, there was that thing. It's like, okay, we're going to do the mask pants. Well, why don't we put the mask pants on a mannequin and practice inflating those? Yeah, you know? like a real, like a real thing. It's not going to hurt anybody, you know? <laughs> And, and then it's just like, oh, we only use this, this mannequin to listen to lung sounds, and it didn't work half the time. It's so, like totally underused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it, it was just completely crazy. And so I kind of envisioned a, a path there of, you know, I know a lot of other professions have integrated simulation, and I think that, you know, one of the things that EMS would be behind on is kind of – securing the resources to be able to do that because I, I know it's not cheap yeah and definitely. um you know funding is definitely an issue but um i think that there's so many benefits to it that um it definitely needs to be explored so ballpark for me i'm a i'm a new 
EMS school, and I want to put together a, a sim lab with two high-quality, high high-fidelity mannequins. How much should I expect to spend on that? Okay, so you can probably drop about ninety to a hundred thousand on the mannequin alone. On just one mannequin. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, that's that's <laughs> wow. two hundred thousand dollars right there, probably. Um, and then what you would need to probably do it proficiently is you need some sort of AV system, because you're going to want to record those encounters, right? And be able to play those back. Um, so a large part of simulation is the debriefing process. That's where you actually learn from your experience of there. So a lot of students will watch themselves during that process, and that's where they sort of realize, oh, hey, I have a nervous tick or something like that. But also, you know, if, if you ask the, the learner, you know, why didn't you do this? The learner will say, well, I think I did that. And then you go back and you can watch the video. And so that's kind of where the AV system comes in. Um, I don't know. There's different types of AV systems. You can spend a lot. Um, really quickly on those but oh, essentially sure. all you need is a camera and you know a way to record that so so probably if we really wanted to do it right you'd be spending about 250 it could be somewhere in that range yeah but but for pre-hospital let's let's do something really cool let's let's put a, a box off of a truck in a room and let's um let's you know maybe we do something outside and then come into the building go to the truck in the box do our in-route simulation, and then let's come out of the box and go to a different room and do a handoff um, for that patient. So, Well, and so that, that leads me to a conversation I want to have is Texas Tech needs to get into that world. They, they need to have um, some kind of, of offer for, for these other places out there. I mean, it could easily be the go-to place to do all of your sim training. Um, especially for like, I mean, speaking for, for our school alone, you know, that would be an ideal situation to be able to hook up at, at the Abilene campus or one of the other campuses and, and do a day of sim, sim lab for our students. Um, and, you know, have your, your experts put together the sims and everything. And then we show up and whatever the fee is and, here we are. Let's do some sim training. Yeah, because money's no object, so we'll just... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's really, I mean, that's what it comes down to is, I mean, if we even wanted to do this small scale, it would be very expensive. Um, I mean, you could buy cheaper stuff, but we had that conversation earlier. The cheaper yeah. you go, the more work you're going to have to put into it later to keep it going. Yeah, and so there's, um, you know, you might consider there's cost-effective options to it. You could, for example, maybe instead of using mannequins, you use real people. Um, that's known as using standardized patients. There's an episode of Seinfeld where Kramer is a standardized <laughs> patient for the, the, the medical school, um, if you've ever seen that episode. And so I think that's how I bring a lot of people to understanding what standardized patients are. Is from that episode? From that episode. Have you ever seen it? I have not seen it. Do you, do you remember like what else happens in the episode? Not really. <laughs> been, <laughs> so that's the only part you remember? It's been a long time, but... Basically, he goes to the school, and he ends up fighting with some other people over what case he gets. And I think they're, I think, I think they're fighting over who has the case of gonorrhea or something like that. So, um, but yeah, basically, you know, just using paid actors. Um, sometimes, if you want to do an amputation or something like that, you can find people who actually have 
those amputations, <laughs> and you could use makeup and stuff. Like Craig, Craigslist, hey, looking for amputee. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's an odd ask. <laughs> but, I mean, so walk me through what one of your real patient simulations is like. That's a good question. So I've always kind of been, you know, on the mannequin side of it, but um, essentially I'm thinking mostly what we'll, what we would use those for. I know is a lot of testing. So we do that in more like the clinic setting where um, they've educated the standardized patient on um, presenting in a certain manner. So for example, if the provider, AKA student, um, asks you a question um, during their assessment, answer it in this fashion. So they've kind of, they've given them a script to follow. And I think they've kind of told them, you know, and then if, you know, they ask you something not on this, just ad lib or whatever. So <laughs> just make you know, it up. <laughs> yeah. So they might put, um, some makeup on them to make them look like they're pale or something like that. Um, and then they would just work through that, um, that case. And then that encounter would be recorded and then an instructor would follow up with how that went and things like that. So that's, I mean, and there's, there's a lot of value to, to having a real person because that definitely feels more real, you know. I mean, obviously, the students are aware that it's not... That's what happens when I talk too much is I start to yawn. Obviously, the students are aware it's not a real patient, but, uh, you know, the, the simulations that I've had where I got to use a real person has always been interesting to me. And it's, it's, uh, it's all about the fidelity of the, of the event. So if, if you're in the real setting, you can get caught in the immersion of it, I think. Um, I was actually working on a mannequin. We had one that would deliver babies. Um, and there was a problem with the mechanism that was delivering the baby. It got jammed a lot. And so I was, I was working on this mannequin and I just remember having this moment of after fixing it, one, I was kind of like, yes, I fixed this. But also, as the baby is delivering, I'm sort of like caught in this magical experience for half a second. And I thought, okay, this must be what it's actually like for our students sometimes. <laughs> because they're catching, you know, some form of the immersion in the experience. And, and it's, it's realistic that they're there. And That's I think cool. that you can get there a little bit by maybe stressing them out. You know, maybe this is a critical patient and things are coming at them and they're having to to think through that. And, True. But if, if you start off the experience by giggling about it and you know, <laughs> you've got some, some makeshift things, like maybe they're not on a real bed. Maybe That'd just, be me. <laughs> they're on a table covered up by a sheet or something like that. They're delivering know. a watermelon yeah. or something like that. As you dilute the fidelity, you'll kind of reduce your chances of, of being able to immerse them in that experience. Well, and I've even heard of people like using smells and all sorts of stuff to, to change the environment, which is yeah. extreme and in my opinion. But feelings. So I have a, I, you could kind of say I have a weak stomach or whatever. Like I'll get sick taking out the trash just because <laughs> certain things cross me out. But, but when you... It's going to be a real bummer the first C. diff <laughs> patient you get. <laughs> well, the thing about it is, is that I found that my compassion for people overrides whatever well, going that's on good. with them. I do not have compassion for a bag of trash, so that will always make me sick. <laughs> I would hope but, not. <laughs> so when you when you introduce the smells and stuff to that, I don't know, I don't know what you're promoting in that sense because, you know, it's like you can't really have compassion for this plastic mannequin. So it, to it you, it would just make you hate it probably. and feel sick. And then somebody's got to clean that up. I've you know had moments where I've thought, okay. Some of these simulations were just like a wild party because that was one of my jobs as well to, to clean up after them and be like, okay, how did blood get on the ceiling and, and stuff like that. So 
Uh, <laughs> just throwing it up there, I guess. Probably. <laughs> so, um, having, I mean, you're almost done with REMT course. You finished all the didactic work already. Um, what are the types of situations where you feel simulation would be of great value? where you feel like more of that simulation could be valuable? Not necessarily just from our program, but from EMS in general. Yeah, so I would say for sure um, my experience as a BLS instructor, you could say that as a BLS instructor, I pretty much do CPR every time I teach a class. Um, So I'm pretty well versed in that. But um, also we started using for our AHA stuff, we started using a voice-assisted mannequin which will pretty much tell you if you're at the right rate and depth. Um, I, I joke that it berates you the whole time you're doing CPR. But really <laughs> you're doing those, bad. <laughs> it, it's kind of forming that muscle memory of, you know, now you can do through practice with that. And, and a lot of hospitals are moving to that, where instead of recertifying in CPR every two years, they're going something like every two months on using the voice-assisted mannequin and practicing through it. Um, so basically, I've just I've kind of formed what it feels like, and and also as an instructor, I can look at I can pretty much look at compressions, and you know I, w- I easily know if they're deep enough, but also the rate is just sort of it's yeah, just it's drilled it into goes. your head how yeah. fast you should be moving and so, everything. You know, fast forward to that doing you know being a BLS instructor for six years or however long that's been, and then um, go to your ER clinicals and step into a code. And it was very easy for me to just be in that muscle memory of, oh, I'm, I'm doing compressions. And in my mind, I'm sort of doing them on this voice-assisted mannequin. So I'm able to, to form that, the, the muscle memory of doing that. So I would definitely say that in times of uh, stress, you revert to your training. Yeah. And that, that was very apparent to me after that day, and it, it was very validating to experience that. So. Um, I'll also say I had a unique experience of, you know, not only that, but the, the amount of call volume that I experienced as a student this this time and <laughs> <laughs> the, the last time were, were definitely very different. Um, so I, I did this in a much larger city the last time uh, that I did it, and we I had the experience of working three codes. So um, it was... You know, I, I knew what to expect this time. Right, it right. It wasn't, um, you know, the first one breaks you a little bit. They all kind of maybe break you differently. Yeah, but, eventually uh, it's just something you do, though. Right, so, you know, there wasn't that um, there wasn't that disconnect there of, you know, having to process that as extensively as I did the first time. Right, you could focus on the task at hand more so. Yeah. That's clever. That's good. So, um... CPR, obviously an area where we need to spend lots of time in simulation. Um, what about trauma? Do you think simulation helps a lot with that? I mean, obviously it's going to help some. Do you think that's an area that we could definitely benefit from some more simulation? I would say so, yeah. Um, and it's kind of my experience as a student, I have only had one trauma. So yeah, just, so definitely there. Yeah, so I, you know, stop the bleeding. You know, what else do you do? Um, and this wasn't even a massive trauma, so I don't really know, you know, where, what my process. You know, I don't know like how I handle that as a student, but um, so it's just kind of those experiences. But it would be really nice to, you know, kind of think of 
what you might look at the most common things that are going to happen that um, and, and do scenarios based off of that. So do your most common things. And then you can focus on, you know, some of those niche areas, for example, childbirth yeah, um, <laughs> and, and things like that. Um, because what your students are getting is, you know, through, through, simul through simulation, you can standardize the process. So, you know, you can now say every student has the same encounter where they experience a normal delivery. They also experience um, a complicated delivery, a nuchal cord, um, things like that, uh, managing preeclampsia. You can work through all of those things, um, whereas, you know, typically those would be things that a student may or may not encounter, uh, just depending on, you know, whatever cards they draw that day. Well, and if they ever encountered in their career, you would hope to be able to say they at least had some experience with it, which, I mean, we, we know, I mean, there's a limited time for, for all of that. I mean, you can't just keep somebody in the course, in any course, forever and ever until you've exhausted every possible scenario. Um, but you, you and I have talked about, you know, continuing education is just as much, if not more important than the initial education. Um, and I would say that maybe simulation has a larger place in that setting than anything. Um, because they're going to go out there, they're going to get some calls, but the stuff that they never experience, they never touch is going to be the stuff they forget. Like my example would be, um, an emergency crike. Uh, so I'm going to cut, somebody gave me the responsibility of cutting a hole in someone's throat. And I have done that once on a mannequin. Um, so what are we, I mean, what are we supposed to do about that? Like, how am I supposed to know if I can still do that or not? Um, and that would be an area where I would see simulation playing a part. Um, another thing, uh, that's not experienced often, you know, spinal injuries. We see them sometimes, but, uh, generally we've, we've gotten to this point in EMS where we're trying our best not to just put people on backboards for no reason at all. But we're not, we're not spending an appropriate amount of time teaching people how to evaluate for an actual spinal injury. You know, does your neck hurt? No? Okay, then your spine's not injured. Well, it's not, <laughs> it's not necessarily how that works. So I would imagine, like, simulation has a bigger part in that, in that continuing education process. Um, and so do other, is there anybody that comes here to do continuing education uh, or comes to sim labs to do continuing education? Um, I think we've done some different workshops along the way. Like, for example, one time, and it kind of depends on what's going on. Sometimes people will do uh, grant funding for different projects. Um, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that does that. But I know in the past, like, we did a thing with um, school nurses on managing diabetes and things like that. But, but I'm aware of other centers that have contracts with um, – some providers, like for example, a helicopter um, air evac service, um, that they come in and they do training um, related to that. So it's it's definitely not off the wall. If somebody wanted to come do something, it's you know we've got uh, we're we've got a uh, price sheet for you know how we can make that work and stuff like that. Well, and I think I think that's a a really uh, a really cool thing that you know, uh, any, any provider out there or any service out there that hears this, you know, take that into consideration. You're, you're general just sitting at a, 
at a meeting and talking about a subject isn't going to drill it into somebody's head how to do this. That, that CE is not working for your employees. Speaking from the perspective of one, as one of those employees in the past, you know, you sit there and tell me a bunch of information. That, to me, is not continuing education. That is checking the boxes, and that is the worst thing that you can do for your, your providers and for your patients. Um, so uh, that being said, I know uh, I put, I've put Matthew on a time crunch here. Uh, for, for those of you that haven't realized, this is our second go at this. We recorded an entire hour or more, and um, it was deleted. Uh, not by any error of mine that I can tell, but probably my fault. So um, now I've placed us in a position where we we have less time to do this. But what we have come out with is a, is a very um, efficient version of the conversation we had previously. So I wanna I wanna say thank you to Matt for letting me talk to him uh, about this. And Matt, thanks for being willing to kind of put your experiences out there. I definitely want to do another one of these so we can continue this, this talk. And, and I, I'd like to talk more about, um, well, in the future about what your plans are with your EMT, sir. Like, what are we, you know, what your plans are and what you're going to do with it. Um, what you would hope to do with it, uh, you know, other than just a, another piece of education, which I know that's, that's not your intention, but, um, so that's something I definitely want to talk about in the future. And I'd like to do some of these sim labs and come back and talk about how we thought, how do we thought it went, the impact it made on, on some of our pre-hospital providers. Cause I know Texas tech mostly focuses on the nursing side of things. And, um, I'd love to see what happens when you bring a bunch of EMS pre-hospital people in here and do the same thing with them, see what the difference is. So, uh, any last thoughts before I, I let you go? No, I would say thank you for. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> That's my fault. Apparently, I should have some last thoughts. You don't have to. <laughs> okay. I can cut it out if you don't have any last thoughts. What would you think? I just want to give you the opportunity to say something before I was just like, later. <laughs> yeah, I don't guess I have anything. Okay. All right, well, uh, join us next time on EM Talk, and remember, knowledge is vital in EMS. It's life or death.